Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Connor, and I will be your host for this Q Squared Solutions podcast. Today, we're talking about the standardization of tumor mutational burden, or TMB, by alignments to reference standards. Victor Weigman is the director of translational genomics at Q Squared Solutions. Welcome, Victor. Thanks, Chris. And uh, we also have Mark Stewart, who is the vice president of science policy at Friends of Cancer Research. Mark, welcome also. Thanks for having me. All right, so I'm going to start off with Vic. Let's define what we mean by tumor mutational burden in case there are people listening to this who aren't familiar with this biomarker. Really, the mutational burden makes sense as you think about kind of the etiology and the building of tumors. So as a tumor cell develops, which happens when mutations occur into DNA damage repair or checkpointing mechanisms, uh, it comes to a point as it devolves and mutates and the cells grow that these mutations accumulate over the growth of the tumor. TMB or tumor mutational burden really represents the collection of those mutations in aggregate against the size of the genome you interrogate through testing, right? Different genomic panels interrogate different parts of the genome. So it's something as, as simple as the amount of semantic mutations over the size of that panel. So um, as uh, appropriate for this particular you know, podcast, when research papers came along uh, even before 2013, uh, people started considering uh, the number of mutations in a tumor as indicative of uh, specific severity of, of cancer. And uh, a really neat paper in 2013 that uh, certainly a lot of people have cited, uh, Ludmila Alexandrov, uh, showed that when you look at 30 different types of cancers, that specific cancers shared ranges of mutational burdens. It wasn't really long after that that people started, when doing biomarker discovery of response to things like immune therapies, TMB value, this accumulation of mutations, was highly associative to response to immune checkpoint inhibitors, and that really got us to kind of where we are today and the utility of this biomarker. So you mentioned immune checkpoint inhibitors. How is TMB different from what we think about in terms of biomarkers like PD-1, for example? pd one which is a ligand that's exhibited on the external side of the tumor, identifies a specific marker. So research has shown that, you know, high levels or high representation of this extracellular marker uh, were associated to a response to immune checkpoint inhibitor, as in the therapy would block that tumor's ability to tell the immune system, hey, I'm t nothing's going on, I'm totally cool here. So that's really what these uh, checkpoint inhibitors are doing is now because you have this high presence, you would hopefully respond to this immune checkpoint inhibitor. Well, that's a single marker. It's a single protein marker. So you're looking at something like immune histochemistry. You know, the, the typical B-roll of scientists in lab coat looking at a microscope with like, Eureka, TMB is a lot more complicated in that we're leveraging next generation sequencing to generate a composite score from tens of thousands or in some cases millions of bases of sequence. So really you're, you're summarizing this collection of mutations in a singular value versus a more qualitative range of expression levels done by looking at proteins in a microscope. Just to be clear though, although it's a different kind of marker, TMB can be predictive of how that different marker like PDL1 will behave, right? That's true. Um, 
Yeah, so so they are they are linked, but I will say that things like PDL1 or even presence of immune cells uh, towards the tumor are now being seen as independent variables that all together in in aggregate probably have the biggest predictive value on the severity of the tumor or the response to immune checkpoint inhibitor. So there are patients that have high TMB and high PDL1, but there's also ones that have high TMB and low PDL1. So really, it's uh, as we learn about immunology, you know, the things that you fell asleep in graduate school, <laughs> because it was very complicated, are still complicated. So really, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful complement and actually shows a, a much broader biological mechanism than a, than a typical um, a protein expression. Mark, there are other complex markers that uh, researchers are investigating, such as microsatellite instability. We're talking here about standardizing or harmonizing these biomarkers. Why is that important to do for reference samples? I think it's important to kind of take a step back to really even understand why we're pursuing these biomarkers in the first place. I mean, I think it's fair to say that immune checkpoint inhibitors have been really paradigm shifting in terms of oncology treatment, but what we've seen from their use in clinical practice is that not every patient responds, and so there's this desire to better understand how to identify those subsets of patients uh, that are more likely to respond, which has led us down this path of identifying um, PDL1, TMB, and MSI high. The identification of these various biomarkers in patients have real implications in terms of guiding treatment decision making for patients and physicians. And so there's a strong desire to make sure that these assays that are being used are accurate. Um, that there's strong evidence and there's strong evidence to support their their use. PDL1 IHC blueprints an example of um, a harmonization effort that took place a few years ago. Um, for that harmonization effort, it actually initiated after there were several companion diagnostics and complementary diagnostics already approved. But what we were seeing is that each PD1 um, test was associated with a different assay, and so there was uncertainty in terms of how these assays related to one another or whether a physician could use an assay that was associated with one one PD-1 therapy, but yet use it for another PD-1 therapy. That harmonization effort, I think, really put out some strong evidence that showed the similarities and dissimilarities among some of the assays out there that that you know it's difficult sometimes to interchange these assays. Carrying uh, on a little bit for Mark, just for the, the sake of some of the, the audience here, I think it's important to note, and I'll highlight a thing that you said here that I want people to take home, is that <clears throat> there isn't just one PDL one diagnostic, right? There, there are several. So when you get your tumor tested, you have, <clears throat> from your hospital office um, or clinic, a lot of different options to choose. So since high PDL one is, is, is the thing you're looking for, what does that mean? High in what? You already uh, called out how uh, these different assays respond, but we need to calibrate what high means because it has such a, a very keen therapeutic impact. And for those not familiar with uh, the testing or diagnostic process, these uh, things come online when your uh, 
design a, a clinical trial that shows how respond to this marker or level of this marker correlates to therapeutic impact. Well, since these trials are happening in, in isolation or uh, independent of each other, these thresholds are developed for these diagnostics completely out of sync. And so these, these harmonization efforts to really know what it means from a therapeutic standpoint, because there's one therapy, but there's seven ways to get it, is really imperative if we're going to start realizing that precision medicine promise. I've been wondering about that thing myself, about all the different pdl one assays, but each of them linked to a specific therapy. But you're thinking if it's telling you what you think it is, why couldn't you use you know, a different therapy? Although I don't know why you'd want to, since we are, you sort of already know the answer. Mark, tell us um, a little bit, how do we get ahead on the next complex biomarker, the kinds of things you're involved in here? And the next one that's discovered, how do we harmonize that data earlier in development so that we might get a better range of solutions? Sure. Um, well, I think we've learned a lot from past harmonization efforts and, and then our current harmonization effort focused on tumor mutational burden. As I mentioned, the, the pdl one IHC blueprint really got underway after we noticed several available companion diagnostics and complementary diagnostics that had already gone through um, FDA approval and linked to specific drugs. And then the question arose is how these different tests relate to each other. While they came out with some really good data and informative data on how to appropriately use these tests, it was limited in the impact that it potentially had because it's very difficult for these companies to go back and harmonize once they've gone through the FDA approval process because it often requires an entirely new application to the agency, which can be time and, and cost um, restrictive. I think for tumor mutational burden, we were able to see the writing on the wall. We we saw the incredible data being shown at various scientific conferences around this new potential predictive biomarker. We saw that there were multiple drug sponsors, multiple diagnostic companies pursuing a development of assays and conducting clinical trials around um, identifying a um, tumor mutation team be high versus team be low and we realized that this could likely lead to a similar scenario that occurred with pdl one and so we're, we're actually in a in a fairly good place right now with our harmonization project in the sense that yes there is an approved and an authorized diagnostic out there However, they've not necessarily been linked with the use of a, a specific drug. So, you know, I think we've caught this early enough to where we can put out some strong recommendations around what, you know, appropriate performance metrics should look like um, to still help kind of inform the future development of these and the ongoing development of these to where hopefully at the end we'll be in a slightly better place where we can better understand how the tests relate to each other, what might impact differences between one test or another test, and ultimately I think that type of information will be really informative for um, physicians and patients as they're making really important treatment decisions based on these assays. So I think we've 
have a few learning opportunities that we're able to extract from these harmonization efforts to ensure that as we move forward, we can identify those areas that can help ensure that we kind of move forward um, together. And I think, you know, from my perspective, a few things that I've been able to, to that we've been able to extract from these efforts is that one, it's important to start these initiatives early enough to where you can still impact the development of these diagnostic tests. And it's important that there's a level of transparency involved here, which has been critical for our tumor mutational burden harmonization project. And I think it's also important that you really have um, all the stakeholders present and that are willing to have an open discussion around the issues. And I think we've been fortunate with our TMB harmonization effort to have met those criteria. And hopefully we can take those concepts and um, figure out kind of an overarching playbook here that could um, help guide you know, the next uh, complex biomarker that's, that's coming down the line. Nice. So you mentioned your team and the other stakeholders. Tell us a little bit about Friends of Cancer Research and the consortium so people know who's doing this and, and what it's about. Sure. I suspect, you know, many people might not have heard of Friends of Cancer Research. Um, we're a relatively small advocacy organization that's uh, based in Washington, D.C. We were founded in 1996. And our initial charge was to really increase public awareness and support for cancer research and for increased scientific capacity um, across the various federal health agencies. Over the past decade, we've um, shifted our focus and um, really become a leading advocacy organization um, that's worked closely with the FDA um, and with other health research organizations to really influence drug development and the regulatory process to um, facilitate the speed uh, of which these therapeutic products are made available to, to patients. We have a unique model to create a path to better drug development and approval through scientific, regulatory, and legislative solutions. And in fact, most of the projects that we undertake at Friends of, Ant Friends of Cancer Research um, ultimately help to produce data, catalyze science, and inform policy. And I think it's fair to say that this TMB harmonization effort kind of meets all those criteria. For us, we looked at the TMB harmonization project as an opportunity to bring together stakeholders that often don't communicate with each other. And it was also an area where the science was young. So there was an opportunity to bring together thought leaders to really th think hard about um, how best we can all move forward. And so there's a level of data that's been produced as part of this harmonization effort that I think has been informative for the field. But then from a, a, high, a higher level, um, we're really able to inform policy here. And I think this harmonization project's been very timely in terms of discussions that have been happening at FDA in terms of um, class-based labeling and how to better understand how tests relate to one another. So we're really looking at how um, some of these concepts can help inform future FDA guidance and even legislation. Vic, I'm going to let you tag on to that. How does this harmonization project advance cancer research as a whole from 
academia to pharma and even down to the supplier level? Yeah, no, uh, <clears throat> happy to answer that. You know, so something that we certainly do here at Q Squared is span that whole spectrum that you uh, discussed. Uh, and so I would say this is falls on a, a couple couple main char- characterizations. Number one, what we're doing now in the, the phase two and beyond is, is understanding what it's like to make a positive control. You know, uh, every good experiment needs to have controls, right? A thing that lets you know what's a positive, what's a negative, um, what are the bounds of which your test should perform. And the outcome of one of these harmoniza- uh, this harmonization effort, one of these uh, phases, is creating that control. So now these different uh, companies that are making these tests have a standardized mechanism for which the value is, is known. A pound didn't become a pound until you know, NIST said, this is what we're going to be doing. Pardon the gross generalization. Um, but it, it is important to say that this is a TMB value of seven, let's say, because that's, that's complicated. We already said that the marker we're chasing after here, uh, tumor rotational burden, is a composite score. So it's not like we can synthetically create uh, a DNA sample that's going to aggregate the right kind of score for everybody because every genomic panel is made of a different chemistry, every algorithm and pipeline that processes data are different, how we identify variants, uh, uh, mutations in the DNA strands are all different. So um, uh, the control has to be robust. So identification of a control that can be universally distributed has immense power in science, regardless of your uh, take, academia, industry, uh, nonprofit, or government. So that is, a, that is a key fundamental finding of this harmonization that really got us supremely excited. The second thing that goes overlooked, because everybody just assumes, quote-unquote, smart people are on it, but creating a standard set of figures to allow people to interpret results from this kind of complex marker are really important. Myself, uh, a few other members are on the uh, statistical team that helps identify the experimental plan that we're going to be doing when we collect all this data from all these labs. But standardizing particular figures we're going to be making, uh, determining correlations, determining distributions that data should follow means that when you represent your group's body of research, you're now doing so on uh, figures and frameworks that are already there. So now Lab A in Europe and industry company in the United States can now create the same figure with their own process and interpretation between the two is a lot more streamlined. And I think uh, third is really having somebody be a referee and say, okay, we understand this is very complicated, but we're going to say, we're going to lock these variables into our hypothesis. You guys might not agree with the variables, but we're all going to lock them. And then like a good scientific method, we're going to disprove this hypothesis, yes or no. So it allows, it allows somebody to be that adjudicator. So really, those three core components help research across uh, a therapeutic landscape to, to really further drug development and understand where the uh, strength in these new uh, therapeutics can really be when leveraging something like TMB. What is the role of Q-squared solutions in the consortium that we're talking about? Q-squared Solutions is a a global central laboratory network. Uh, We work with 
uh, instrument vendors, diagnostic uh, manufacturers to uh, create clinical tests. We partner with our pharmaceutical companies to run the testing that's necessary for uh, trials to determine, you know, how well a drug works and, and, and doesn't work. So, so we come to the consortium with a lot of knowledge of, A, being familiar with things like companion diagnostic development, working with a lot of vendors. We discussed PDL one earlier. Uh, we've had a lot of involvement in those companion diagnostics. But also with that, as the, the more academic and scientific heavy side, which I, rep I represent my team uh, here, is that we've, we try to work with as many agencies as possible to build standards. So Friends of Cancer Research uh, uh, falls in line with that, with that arena. Right, we want everybody to be practicing the, the right kind of science. You really have to build these fundamental questions, these testing data sets that, that are necessary to really do this kind of work and something that Q Squared has been doing for, for quite some time. Uh, certainly in the genomics space, we've dealt with uh, and actively participate in the MAQC Foundation, Precision FDA challenges, work with the EPA, NIH, uh, other agencies to understand what is, what is this marker we're testing? What is this promise of this therapeutic? So, so really what we try to add in that consortia is, first of all, testing and biomarker experience, drug development experience, and also experimental design for how these kinds of, of things run. And one thing I want to call back to something that Mark said earlier, which I think is, is really important here to the audience that may not be as familiar with the drug development process, is an immense value that's going to be totally underappreciated until you know somebody listens to this podcast sometime in the future and says, "Hey, these guys were maybe right." But once we've once these drug companies have done these trials with these uh, diagnostics like PDO1 or, or TMB, these things get worked into the labeling of that drug. Um, if it's a companion diagnostic, you must take this test in order to get this drug. That's how this works. If the companion is not robust enough, if the, the test is not robust enough. The labeling in there, while, while may be correct for a, a subset or a population, um, we may not be realizing, realizing all the therapeutic promise that a patient wants, right? So if we build a, a, a biomarker that's robust and we understand how it works across the globe, which is what we're doing here, then when this drug goes to market with whatever test is leveraging TMB as a marker, we know that labeling is going to have more scrutiny. It's going to be more robust in there. And that's going to affect things like not just patients who get the drug, but it could affect things like reimbursement, you know, uh, insurance companies or healthcare providers or nationalized systems to pay for these types of drugs going forward because we know this biomarker uh, and the bounds of it are more precise. And this is really where Q-squared realizes that vision of, of delivering on precision medicine and why we're super thrilled about participating in this uh, initiative. Mark, Friends of Cancer Research recently presented a poster at ASCO describing this TMB standardization project. I'm going to link to that in the show notes for this podcast. What comes next for you all? Sure. We first initiated this project a little over a year and a half ago, and it's been quite the experience and opportunity working with the variety of stakeholders uh, we have involved. As I mentioned, the collaborative nature has been really critical for the success of this project, and I would like to just acknowledge that we have 15 different 
um, laboratory tests involved in this harmonization effort and over a hundred working group members that have really contributed to the development um, of this harmonization effort and the analyses that have been conducted. And over time we've been identifying appropriate venues to where we can showcase the progress and data that we've been able to generate. Again, our hope is to inform uh, robust development and help inform the appropriate use of these diagnostics while science is still continuing to evolve around their use. So what's next for us is um, really honing in on recommendations that can inform the development and use of these diagnostic tests. We've actually submitted one manuscript that um, summarizes the data from the first phase of this effort, um, which really used an in silico data set to um, provide a kind of benchmark of how similar or different these assays are to one another. It's also been very informative in terms of recommendations around what appropriate analytical uh, validation looks like for these assays. Uh, as we move forward, we've began to incorporate more complex analyses where we've used uh, cell line data and we're beginning to um, move into the use of actual uh, clinical samples. And so we'll be uh, continuing to look for appropriate venues to release that data at upcoming science conferences, but more importantly, um, really packaging this up to where we can get it out into publications um, that it's informative and useful for academic labs and, and diagnostic developers to really implement the recommendations that this harmonization effort's been diligently working on the past several months. Yeah, and I want to add one thing uh, that that Mark uh, seemingly you know a little humble about, but you you said 15 organizations, but I think it's it certainly should be intriguing to the the audience here that this is not this is you know top tier pharmaceutical companies, um, instrument and diagnostic manufacturers, and um, academic groups that are all invested in making this work, which is, uh, for me and my time uh, doing research and doing clinical testing is, is truly unique. Yeah, it's impressive to get all those, all those people together. I mean, it's, it's hard to get people f together for yeah. a meeting. And, they, and, they regularly attend, and, and, and we all regularly attend the meetings. That's the best part. I don't have people on my own team that come to department meetings as regularly. <laughs> I think it just shows um, how serious people are. I, I have learned a lot today. So this was really fun for me. Victor Weidman, Director of Translational Genomics at Q Squared Solutions, and Mark Stewart, Vice President of Science Policy at Friends of Cancer Research. Thank you both for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mark. Thank you both. It's been a great conversation. Before we wrap up, let me tell you a little bit more about Friends of Cancer Research and Q Squared Solutions. Friends of Cancer Research drives collaboration among partners from every healthcare sector to power advances in science, policy, and regulation that speed life-saving treatments to patients. For more than two decades, Friends of Cancer Research has been instrumental in the creation and implementation of policies ensuring patients receive the best treatments in the fastest and safest way possible. For more information, please visit 
www.focr.org. Q-Squared Solutions is a leading clinical trial laboratory services organization with end-to-end laboratory services and secure enterprise-wide biospecimen and consent management solutions. Their industry-leading genomics and bioinformatics services provide customers with DNA and RNA sequencing and other testing, as well as the ability to mine data for invaluable insights for drug discovery, precision medicine, and clinical development. A joint venture of IQVIA, formerly Quintiles IMS, and Quest Diagnostics, Q-Squared Solutions combines the best of each parent organization's clinical trials laboratory services capabilities to fulfill its mission of treating each sample as if a life depends on it. For more information, go to q2labsolutions.com. That's Q and the number 2, labsolutions.com.